0: Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we attack our most pervasive fears with truth, because life's too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online and on social media. Visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know I have a story to tell, one that is intricately tied to my calling. While well, you do as well, our life, sharing all God's done and why we needed his intervention in the first place can be the most powerful evidence for the gospel our broken world sees. But while we may know that, that doesn't mean we'll feel super excited to share. I found, in fact, many of us are quite anxious to share our stories for so many reasons. We fear rejection, that if someone really knew where we came from, what we've done, or maybe even what we've experienced, what was done to us, then they would reject us. And we might not know how. Like, how can we explain something that's all jumbled in our brain? The very thought might trigger all sorts of emotions that we've trained ourselves not to deal with. So that's hard. That's frightening. And then there's some of us who tend to discount our testimonies. I hear that a lot in faith circles, we often highlight those dramatic, those strung out, felon, druggie turned world-renowned preacher story, which can almost make those with less dramatic testimonies carry a sense of, I don't know, maybe shame. Wow, that's a lot to talk about, right? And I have to begin by saying I've walked through this. I've been in a place of hiding for decades, but I've also experienced the freedom that comes from finally letting go from following God's lead and telling others some of those secrets that haunted me for so very long. But at the same time, I am currently wrestling with a new layer, Another part of my story that I've not shared with many people, in part because in the past I felt strongly I wasn't supposed to, and I'm not 100% sure that I am to share now. Our stories can be complicated, can't they? They're not just our stories. Sometimes they involve others, or the telling would impact others, and sometimes, well, they're just complicated. And amidst all the complication and uncertainty, there's shame, there's hurt, there's confusion, And just so much emotional gunk. Well, that's where I'm at. I'm at a place where I want to follow Jesus, however he leads, 100% with no fear. But honestly, I am not there yet. And I'm at a place where I'm not even certain what that would look like in this particular situation. And those two factors, all the fears, the thought of sharing my story triggers and my confusion... Those work against one another because they trigger my self-protective tendencies and therefore my self-deceptive tendencies, which is also why my wrestling has the capacity for such healing and such impact. All that to say, I get why this can be so hard. And I don't know your story. I don't know what parts of your past most threaten to hold you in bondage. I don't know all the lies and the hurts and the ways that past choices, yours and maybe other people's choices. I don't know how those have chipped at your soul. And I don't know what God's calling you to do. Honestly, I'm not even sure what God's calling me to do except to follow him, truly follow, to tell him yes, not maybe, or not to give a yes with conditions. And I feel like that's the hardest part that willingness to just say yes, whatever that looks like today. That's all he's asking any of us to do. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about following God as he works to remove our shame, to bring healing, and to bring beauty from our stories. Now, if you've listened to past episodes, you might know that I dropped out of high school, I bounced from home to home and couch to couch, and eventually ended up homeless. My coping mechanism during that time was to stay drunk, periodically thinking that it wouldn't be so bad if I passed out from too much alcohol and never woke up. But then with the help of my husband, my modern-day Boaz, I got off the streets, I got my GED, I enrolled in college classes, and I basically merged with the middle-class suburban world that God had planted me in. And at first, it was very much a culture shock. Everyone seemed so put together, so polished, and so educated, like they came from these super healthy, always loving families and practically quoted scripture in their sleep. And I was certain I didn't fit. But over time, I learned the culture, I learned the language, I learned the unspoken rules. I became the well-mannered, presentable Midwestern mom and housewife who cooked meals from scratch, who went to church, and, and who chose frou-frou coffee drinks over malt liquor. And then when our daughter was a few months old, we moved to Southern California where no one knew me. They didn't know my past or this new woman I presented myself as, which allowed me to live completely separated from my past as if it never had occurred. And for the next 20 years or so, I became the soccer mom, the host school mom, the Sunday school teacher, the woman who went to nice restaurants. And I, I was that woman. I was living out increasingly the life God was calling me to, but I felt like such a fraud because I was carrying a secret No one in my circle knew that I hadn't graduated from high school and that I'd once wandered the streets of Tacoma, Washington, drunk more often than sober. The shame of it all haunted me. And the more I hid my story, the greater my shame became. Because that's what hiding does. It increases our shame and often reinforces all the lies we've developed over the years. Our shame also distances us from others. I've heard it said loneliness is less about being alone and more about feeling unknown. Think about that for a minute. Loneliness is less about being alone and more about feeling unknown. So that means when we remain unknown, when we remain in hiding, we most likely will feel alone. But our shame does more than just keep us in hiding. It can actively push others away as well by leading to ugly behaviors. For example, those who live with shame are often easily offended. They live on the defensive. And this makes sense because shame hits at our core identity, who we believe we are. Whereas guilt and regret say, wow, I really blew it there. I I wish I hadn't done that. Shame says, I'm bad or I'm worthless. And when we feel worthless, We assume others view us in that same way, and we work really hard to convince them and to convince ourselves that we're not. We see everything as an attack. Shame can also lead to a paralyzing sense of perfectionism, again, because the person is trying to prove their value, and perfectionism very rarely stays in one sphere, meaning we often hold others by the same unrealistic standards by which we hold ourselves. And for the perfectionist, there is no room for error for ourselves or for anyone we interact with, which means we're either living in a state of rejection, of inferiority, or we're viewing others through that same lens. Now, those who struggle with perfectionism probably know how harmful this tendency can be to themselves and to others, but often attack it from the wrong angle, from the external, focusing on the behavior rather than the root, rather than dealing with the underlying shame. And as a result, they're often left feeling more like a failure, which in turn can increase their shame, making it even harder for them to break free from perfectionism. The solution? We must feel and deal in order to heal. I'm going to say that again. We must feel and deal in order to heal. Sharing our story can help us do that. Here's why. Our challenges and our fears often point to inner lies that we might not be fully alert to or that sort of remain vague in our minds. And that's what's going on with me right now as I wrestle with, okay, God, what do you want me to share? Why is it hard to share? And it's bringing things to light. It's it's making me aware of things that I wasn't aware of hurts and lies within me that I didn't know existed. And this allows us to feel the pain that led to that lie and then deal with that pain with Jesus instead of shoving it down, instead of trying to distract ourselves from it, inviting his perspective and his healing touch so that we can reach a new level of healing. It's super, super helpful to have someone to process with, someone mature in the faith who also understands whatever pain we're struggling with. And both of those components are super important. And we need to learn to see ourselves, our past sins and all, through the lens of grace as God sees us. That is such a journey. And sometimes it can take a long, long time and a lot of healing. But while God leads us on that journey, we must be willing to follow. Now, if you're struggling to understand and to live in God's grace, I encourage you to grab a free copy of Holy Love's Becoming His Princess Bible Study. You can access the weekly videos for free as well. And the study will help you learn to live in your new identity as a child of God and to rest deeply in His grace. And that's where God is always leading us, toward a greater understanding, acceptance, and reliance on his grace. He is continually removing everything within us that gets in his way and tarnishes who he created us to be. As I've said before, the Christian journey is a journey of becoming, as we shuck off all the hurts, all the lies that distorts Christ in us, and as God awakens us to who we were meant to be, who he created us to to be who we really are. And in the process, we'll probably be reminded of messages spoken and unspoken that we've received over the course of our lives, messages that, that create or add to our fear of rejection that we might be tempted to own as truth, but that in reality reveal the gunk, the inner Pharisee, if you will, in other people's hearts. So let me give you an example. Jenna was raised by mentally ill parents. Her father was an alcoholic who frequently lost his temper, and her mother was manipulative and played all sorts of strange head games and acted in really bizarre ways, like forcing the family to sleep in the attic because she was convinced demons had taken over the house. Well, once Jenna left home, she got connected with a faith community. She God just did an amazing work in her life and in her heart. He He healed her so that she no longer resembled that, that girl that she was growing up, so that she absolutely did not resemble her parents in the slightest, and so that her adult life looked nothing like the environment that she grew up in. Her entire world was different, but she still felt like one of those people, quote-unquote, from that family, quote-unquote, something she was reminded of whenever one of her friends or someone from church made a disparaging comment regarding people in more dysfunctional settings. One day in particular, she was meeting with a pastor she served under to receive guidance on how to help some women in particular with traumatic backgrounds. Well, the pastor made a casual statement about how messed up women with alcoholic fathers tend to be, probably just trying to help her process and not take their behavior personally, but he inadvertently implied that their brokenness was almost a permanent state. And in that moment, Jenna determined she would never tell that man, About her past. So, even though she knew she was covered in grace and that she'd reached a certain level of healing, she also knew others might misjudge her, might discount her, even disdain her because of her past. And you've probably encountered a similar situation or similar situations, plural. We live in a broken world filled with broken and often pharisaical people who say some hurtful, pharisaical things. And honestly, you and I do as well. We all tend to hold certain stereotypes. Those who come from a more cultured background might assume all high school dropouts were simply depraved rebels. Whereas those who come from, say, poverty or abusive homes might assume all cultured or polished Christians are fake and shallow. And this is precisely why it's so important for us to share our stories so that we can remind one another not only of God's grace, but also of our shared humanity. That just helps the gospel across the board so that we can break through some of those barriers that we have all erected between us. Now, that doesn't mean, however, that we should share our story with everyone especially in our early stages when we're just beginning to heal and step out of shame. Not everyone is a safe person to share with at that particular moment in our journey. The first person I shared my story with, including the part that I'm wrestling with now, rejected me. I thought she was a safe person and that we had a certain level of relationship that allowed for such conversations, and I was wrong. Immediately after our conversation, she began pulling back, distancing herself from me. Now, granted, that could have been coincidence. Maybe life suddenly got super busy for her, or maybe my i probably my story probably hit too close to home for her, stirring up emotions and memories and fears that she wasn't ready to deal with. I don't really know. What I do know is that in that moment, well, and in the many moments that followed, I felt rejected and less apt to share my story with others in the future, I took her reaction as confirmation of all those lies that I had come to believe about myself, that I was horrible, that I was bad at my core. But God wouldn't let me stay in that place. He kept nudging me forward by surrounding me with teenagers who I knew needed to hear my story, not just where I'd been, but most importantly, the freedom I had because of Jesus Christ. but this was about 10 years ago, and my husband and I, we were serving in a ministry that reached out to kids from various low-income areas around the city. And many of those kids had rough backgrounds and even rougher behavior, basically coping mechanisms that allowed them to survive in their current environments, but crippled them ultimately and stole their hope, which in turn stole their motivation for better. Some of the other volunteers, some of the parents, they were growing increasingly uncomfortable with the rapid influx of of these children into our church, in part because we were so drastically outnumbered, but also because of how the teens presented themselves. They acted so angry, so hateful. They used foul language. They made snide comments. They sat with their arms crossed with deep scowls on their faces. But I saw past all that, and I, and I felt like that was just the Holy Spirit giving me a glimpse into their hearts, into their souls. I saw those kids differently. I saw their pain, and, and I saw the wounded kids hiding behind a wall of anger. Kids who had been knocked down so many times, they were afraid to hope, really afraid to even show who they really were. One evening, I was sitting in a crowded youth room. I was watching these two girls give each other the stink eye. And and in that moment, I had an almost uncontrollable urge to jump to my feet and share my story, all of it, including my period of homelessness, something I had gone to great lengths for decades to hide because I wanted them to know that life didn't have to be the way they were used to, the way they expected. I wanted them to know there was hope. God used that moment, that deep, deep sense of love for those kids to break through my shame in part because he helped me see myself differently. As he gave me his love for those kids, he was simultaneously showing me his love for me. He helped me view myself with the same compassion through which I viewed those kids, which I believe came from the Holy Spirit. And also, because he began to shift my focus off of myself and place it onto others, self-obsession makes us miserable. And it often leads us in one of two directions, to increased pride or increased insecurity. Often to both, almost simultaneously, actually. Pride tells us we're somehow better than others. And insecurity basically denies everything that God says about us. Everything that God says is true. It basically denies grace. Both states stem from lies that make much of ourselves and little of God and his grace. When we share our stories, when we proudly proclaim all God has done, it has a tendency to renew our worship, to remind us of just how amazing, how big and all-sufficient God's grace is. I used to try to forget all of those nights that I spent wandering the streets of Tacoma, Washington, because those memories were just too painful, just too hard. But now, some 20 years later, God's grace shines so much brighter than the pain. And I'm not saying I don't still, at times, experience pain, but like I said, God's grace shines so much brighter. His grace, His love, His faithfulness. So I actually like to remember, I like to reflect on where I've been, on the lengths that God went to, to pluck me out of my mess and all he's done since. I've also watched him use my story to help bring others to places of increased freedom. Back to that youth group time period. Like I said, I didn't share my story that night, but I did begin to see what God wanted to do through it. And that was huge for me. I really wrestled with that for for a bit, with, with my call to speak and to write. And those two went hand in hand because I knew God wasn't just calling me to write. He was calling me to write with transparency so that others could catch a glimpse of this great God who had called me out of darkness and into his glorious light as 1 Peter 2 verse 9 states. Well, about a month later, while I'm still wrestling with God and I'm arguing and bartering with him, the women's ministry director, she approached me and she said, Jennifer, God placed you on my heart. Would you be willing to speak at our next women's event? And I knew if I said no, I would be saying no, not just to her, but ultimately to God. I would be acting in willful obedience, something I was unwilling to do. So the next Saturday, no, it wasn't the next Saturday, but one Saturday, uh, the Saturday I was to speak, I stood in the women's bathroom. I was shaking, literally trembling. I was fighting tears. I was convinced all the women in the fellowship hall, that was where they called the area where we were all meeting. I was convinced that that all these women that I'd served with, that I had attended Bible studies with, that I had formed relationships with, I I was convinced they would reject me, that they would determine that they wanted nothing to do with me. But I knew... Here's the catcher. I knew we would be moving two weeks later, which meant I could pop into the event. I could say my thing, and then I could leave. God is so gracious, isn't he? He knew I wouldn't have had the courage otherwise, and so he gave me a gentle first step. But it was still hard. And I still had to take it. And I did. I took that step. I fearfully yet courageously told those nicely dressed, educated, and religious women that I was a high school dropout and a former homeless girl. And that night and then throughout the weekend, my Facebook messenger blew up with women reaching out to share their stories. And I realized how very similar we are. Those stories drew us together. Me sharing my story drew them to me. And them sharing their story drew me to them. A connection was formed. Now, they may never have been homeless, but they all had shame. They all had parts of themselves that they had been hiding, and they all wanted to be known fully, to be fully known. There's such safety, such rest in knowing someone knows the worst parts of us and loves us anyway. We all need that, and we all have that in Jesus Christ, but we need that with another human as well. We all need to find our people who will love all of us, with whom we can be completely real. Finding that depth of relationship, it inherently involves risk, risk of exposure, of rejection. And you know, it's okay to tiptoe in that direction, to share a bit of ourselves, to to see how the person reacts, and, and then maybe to share a little more. But ultimately, we need to get to the place where we're so secure in who we are in Christ, in in Christ's grace that other people's negative reactions won't hurt us so deeply, where we don't take ownership of them. Paul, an apostle who wrote much of the New Testament and planted something like 20 churches throughout ancient Europe and the Mediterranean, he seemed to have reached that place. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-17, to 17, he wrote, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. End quote. Paul could say that openly and without insecurity because he knew who he was, a redeemed, chosen, transformed, and called child of God. And he knew intimately the God who had called him. He had learned to view himself, the world, and everyone he interacted with through the lens of grace, and that's such a freeing way to live. But I wonder if it was hard for him in the beginning to get to a place of such transparency. Although, thinking about it, he probably didn't have a whole lot of choice. I mean, his life before Christ was pretty well known. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. And his life after he came to Christ was pretty well known as well. Most likely people talked about him a lot. And we know from other letters that he wrote that not everyone talked well of him. Some people disliked him. Some people tried to discredit him. And I wonder if that was ever a hindrance to his calling. Maybe in the beginning, if he ever resisted walking out his calling because he was kind of tempted to stay hidden, self-protected. Well, that's how I responded when I first sensed God's call. I was terrified. If I were to become published, people from my past might connect with who I am now. And, and you know, I had a new name, so I felt kind of protected But and, and an entirely new life. And I didn't want my past and my present to merge. I didn't want people to know who I once was. Any, I didn't want anyone from my past to share anything that would cause people in my present to know who I'd once been. So I told God I would write for him so long as no one knew about my past. But then God showed me first that I was completely covered in grace, that his grace was truly enough and that my living in shame acted as if that wasn't true. But even more importantly, he helped me see how I was putting my pride above other people's salvation. And so I told him yes. I said yes to sharing my story. With those women in that event. I later said yes to sharing my story even more publicly at a fundraising event for a local soup kitchen. And then I said yes to sharing my story at women's events across the nation and in blog posts and in articles and in interviews. And and now (laughs) on this podcast combined, I've probably shared my story with millions of people. And I didn't know back when I first said yes, where God would lead me. I didn't know I'd one day be speaking at women's events or that I would host a podcast. And if I'd said no, I wouldn't be here talking to you now. Holy Love Ministries, the ministry I launched and now lead, it it probably wouldn't exist. Our first yes is often the first step towards our calling to doing that which we were created to do. And every time we share, it gets easier. The healing goes deeper and women begin to rise up. Men and women begin to rise up to share their hurts because they suddenly feel less alone, less defective. They rise up into their callings because freedom is contagious. And bit by bit, as we each share our stories, hearts are healed. And those barriers that we've all built between us begin to crumble. And God is glorified, always, our stories, the good, the hard, the ugly, and the beautiful glorify God. The one who molds each one of us into his awe-inspiring, gospel-proclaiming masterpieces. One of my favorite verses, which I referenced earlier, it comes from First Peter 2, verse 9, and it states, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, Into his wonderful light. If you've trusted in Christ for salvation, those words are true for you as well. Consider those words your marching orders. Through Christ, God brought you out of darkness. He freed you from sin. He engulfed you in his light. You are his image bearer, shining so brightly for him. And like Jesus said in Luke 11, verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Our lives were meant to radiate Christ, to reveal the power of the gospel, which means if you belong to Jesus, you have a beautiful, miraculous story to tell and probably a thousand stories in between. Don't let your story become more dominant in your life than God's grace. Does that make sense? Don't let your story, your past, become more dominant in your life or your struggle become more dominant in your life than God's grace. And for those of you who are tempted to discount your story, who maybe hear testimonies like mine and think that your journey is somehow less significant because your transformation is less dramatic, don't believe that lie. Your journey reveals God's heart in a way that no one else's can. And God will use you to reach a people group who maybe wouldn't relate to my story. So I'll end with one last example. Praise God, my daughter grew up in a Christian home. And while she experienced pain, she never lived in outright rebellion against God. So she doesn't have a dramatic transformation story. And because we often served among kids from rough environments, she heard a lot of people who a lot of kids tended to discount not just her story, but her. They told her that she basically was clueless because she was so quote unquote sheltered. And, and that hurt her and it almost made her ashamed of her godly background. But really, she's an example, albeit imperfect as we all are this side of heaven, but an example nonetheless of what life with Christ can look like, what it should look like. And there's such beauty in that. She's also an example of what it looks like to be raised in the church, but then to move past outward behavior and ritual to choose Christ on her own. God has used that part of her story to reach out to others who grew up in a Christian home, doing all the right things and and following all the rules without moving closer relationally to God. When I step back and evaluate my story, her story and so many other stories I've heard over the years. I can see all the ways that Satan tries to silence us because he knows there's such power, life-changing, eternally impactful power in our testimonies. Listen to the words from Romans 12, verses 10 to 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They try." Triumph- Over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So let's break that down. We all have an accuser, but he's already defeated. He only has power over us if we let him. And we will be victorious. How? By the blood of the Lamb, the immense grace that God showered upon us and all that we have in Jesus Christ, and by the word of our testimony. And I think we need to reflect. On the last line, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Most of us thank God won't face physical death for our testimonies, but we will probably have to die in other ways to our pride, to our need for approval, our desire to please man. But Jesus promised our death will always, always, always lead to increased life. Life as He intended, free from hiding, from isolation, and from shame, and into our calling. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode. I would also love it if you would rate it. That helps us and it helps others to find it and it encourages us greatly. Make sure to share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to LifeAudio.com. This, this is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to LifeAudio.com or search your favorite podcast app, for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at Abide.com.